and welcome to episode four of Talking Law from Women in the Law and Business UK. I'm Sally Penny, a barrister at Kenworthy's Chambers in Manchester. I'm also the Joint Vice Chair of the Association of Women Barristers and I am the founder of Women in the Law UK, an organisation which is passionate about supporting the next leaders in law and encouraging career progression through personal development. This month, activist and author Helen Pankhurst talks about the legacy of her surname and how the law still needs to work harder for women. I think you have to be blind to think that women have parity. And I'm talking about not just numeric parity, but a sense of how you're valued and your sense of self. But first, a roundup of what's been happening in the world of Women in the Law UK. Thank you all for joining us in Manchester, inspiring women in business with inspiring speakers. What can lawyers learn from business leaders? Hosted at Cobden House Chambers in Manchester. Fantastic event with great speakers, including Rose Marley from Sharp Futures. Thank you also to those of you who attended the training hosted at Squire Bog Patterson, solicitor's firm in Manchester, which was called Really Effective Personal Development with a fantastic personal coach from Redco, Claire Howell. What an awesome, awesome coach she is. Thank you for agreeing to do that for us. And also all of you who attended the joint event in London about becoming a QC or a judge, uh, which was in uh, June, towards mid-June. All of you who joined us at the Legal Walk in London, I hope you've all recovered. Coming up, don't forget to join us at some wonderful summer events just before we break up. Leads, Jobs for the Girls, Career Strategy and Progression. We could all do with that. Then also in Manchester, the summer drinks with our inspirational speaker. Don't forget there are no events in August because you're all off on holiday. But don't forget to join us back in September. Stay in touch with us on our LinkedIn page where most of you seem to be, but also on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And of course, all the details about who we are and what we do are on womeninthelawuk.com. Now to this month's interview. Helen Pankhurst is an activist, an author granddaughter of Sylvia and great-granddaughter of Emmeline. She is currently a senior advisor of relief agency Care International, working across the UK and Ethiopia, where she was brought up. I asked Helen how much the legacy of her surname led her to her career. The legacy was really important, but I would say it was only half the story. The other half was being brought up in Ethiopia and seeing the reality across two different cultures of how women are treated and the difference between their lives and the drudgery and the difficulties and yet the way women are often considered to be less important, less powerful, less strong. So it was the contradictions within society and the comparison across societies that was as important to me as the surname in terms of my own journey. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so, Helen, you moved to the UK at 12 years of age. Did you expect things to be different in the UK? From what they were like in Ethiopia? Yeah. Um, I think I was always aware of the differences. We used to come every summer. Um, so I'd seen the UK and I'd lived in Ethiopia. But right throughout, I think my sense has been Dif continuity and change, differences and similarities. You know, so for every time you think something is different in a particular country, you see echoes of similarity. And I think I've felt that right throughout and linked to that ideas of progress and then retrenchment. So sometimes you think a particular problem is resolved yes. and then guess what? It comes back and you realize that the problem is still there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, what do you say to people who argue that women have parity now, where in 2019, 
Do you think that women have parity? I think you have to be blind to think that women have parity. And I'm talking about not just numeric parity, but a sense of how you're valued and your sense of self. And the epitome of this has been the research that I've done looking at how far we've gotten over the last hundred years and the book that I've written called Deeds Not Words, The Story of Women's Rights Then and Now. Fantastic book. Thank you. And when you divide it up and you look at what do we feel about the political context? And you say, okay, how, how can we score that? Do we score that as parity? Have we got there? Are we equal? And you say, no, of course not. Then you look at issues of economic equality and you say, well, have we got there in terms of women's jobs, in terms of wealth? Ah, of course not. What about in terms of society and social attitudes? What about women's own sense of self? What about issues like surnames? What surnames do we take? Yes. What about issues of violence against women? As soon as you break it down, it's very, very difficult to say, ah, no problem. Yeah. Tell us about the Pankhurst Fawcett scorecard, which you've just launched here in Manchester especially. So one of the things I'm particularly excited about at the moment is the sense that actually you can be involved in activism at different levels. You can be involved in it internationally, you can be involved in it locally. And Manchester, and in particular Greater Manchester, with its strong links to the suffragettes, it's the home, it's the starting point Absolutely. of um, where Emmeline uh, formed the, what well, became known as the suffragette movement. There is a sense here of radicalism. There is a sense of wanting to do something for women, being aware of the needs to continue to address women's issues. So a bunch of us formed something for, called GM for Women 2028, Greater Manchester for Women 2028, with the idea that between now and 2028, we really want to see change in terms of gender equality. And one of the initiatives, a starting point, is to say, well, what is the situation like in Greater Manchester? How can we score it? What do we think the data is telling us and uh, as a group of us across different um, backgrounds lawyers um, politicians uh, civil society people in finance people in many different backgrounds uh, education we came together and looked at the data and ended up with 10 indicators five key issues so yes. education work safety uh, culture employment and we have found we've got not ideal indicators, but some indicators. And what the Fawcett um, Panker scorecard bringing together those two yes. iconic names around feminism, yes. what we're saying is this is the data at the moment, and it's showing incredible gaps still. And once a year, we will continue to look at whether we're reducing the difficulties, whether we're getting there, or whether, in fact, some areas of these aspects are getting worse. And meanwhile, part of the initiative is not just to have these scorecards at the uh, Greater Manchester level, but to also encourage people and companies to pledge, to pledge with their own data. So companies saying, well, this is the situation we have now, for example, in terms of um, gender pay gap reporting, or it yes. might be some other indicator. And we commit to actually trying to make things better and to reporting once a year on the data. So mm -hmm. the um, Fawcett Panker scorecard is at the overall level, but we're also encouraging individuals and companies in particular to say, we can engage in this, we can have our own data as well. Fantastic. And as you know, we're, we're part of the scorecard, so we support it, women in the law, wholeheartedly. Tell us about the Care International Women's March, the March for Women, which carried out the theme of women in the law UK. I was there, so I don't want to just tell people. I want, to, I want you to tell us, uh, really, about why Care International um, has been encouraging that march, because it was awesome. What is it, and, and why was the theme Women in the Law? 
So March for Women has been going on now for about seven years and we've picked up different themes each time. Last year it was the centenary of women getting the right to vote, some women, and also women being able to stand as MPs. This year it's the centenary of women in the law, the Sexual Discrimination Removal Act. So it felt like a critical moment to celebrate, to look at how far we'd got, to look at how far we still need to go. And Right now, beyond that issue of the centenary, there is a sense, I think a global sense, that workplace harassment is the issue. Time's up, me too. So many countries now realising that that isn't just a problem that happens in Hollywood or in the film industry, that it is something happening in every single industry around the world. And a number of different organisations, including the ILO, the International Labour Organisation, um, is looking at whether... Right now, we can seize the movement, seize the moment, and actually do something about it. And um, the head of the Supreme Court, Lady Hale, uh, spoke at the march this year. Is that right, Helen? Yes, that's right. And it was lovely having her there. You know, we have a woman at the head of the Supreme Court, which is absolutely wonderful. We also had women who challenged the law. So people like Nicola Thorpe, who had challenged the issue about um, having to wear high-heeled shoes um, as an employee, Leila Hussein talking about FGM, Muslim Women's Network representative talking about the fact that that women who were escaping from having been taken abroad without their will in order to be forced into marriage, had to pay for the flight back. Um, So a number of women who were challenging the law. So it was lovely to have both lawyers and people who were outside the law actually challenging the law. And And it showed the power of individuals because, of course, we had the lady... Is it Gina Martin, the upskirting um, uh, legislation, which is now in? So that was very good. But do you think the law supports women enough? Uh, And uh, does there need to be new legislation or does perhaps existing legislation need to be implemented better? What, What are your views on that? So I think the law does need to continue to be more sensitive to women's interests. Uh, It is still man-made, the whole structure of it. Mm -hmm. If you look at the numbers, so in um, the northwest, so in this area, only 29% of court judge appointments are of women. So we still have a way to go in terms of ensuring equal representation and therefore a legal system that's more likely to take women's interests into account. That doesn't mean to say that men will not do so, but surely a more diverse, not just in terms of gender, but a more diverse and representative uh, legal system is more likely to reflect the interests of people in the round. So I still think we have a lot to do. Uh, There's then the question of laws that are not implemented. And both in the UK and globally, you hear often that there are laws, it's in the application of them that we have, again, many, many problems. Do you think women are currently treated equally to men in the eyes of the law? I think the law still expects lawyers to be men and is biased in terms of not understanding women's concerns, women's interests. That's not to say that it's always the case, but I think then, you know, there have been a number of studies looking at how, again, globally, uh, whether the laws treat uh, men and women equally, and the UK is not one of the six countries uh, which were identified as doing just that. No. In your view, what does the profession need to do to ensure it reflects the whole of society, not just gender, race, social mobility, those from different socioeconomic backgrounds and diversity of thought? Have you got any thoughts on what, what the profession, my profession, our profession, uh, need to do? So I think the first thing is being reflective and understanding the privileges and the vulnerabilities that 
individuals have who are represented in the law and those who are being represented by the law. And the more reflection and sensitivity to difference we have, uh, I think the truer the justice will be, the more equal, the more relevant, the more appropriate the decisions made. Uh, as we've discussed, it's a hundred years since women were given the right to practice law. What advice would you give young women in the law who want to go about implementing change? So there are many ways I could answer that. But the first point would be that I think as individuals, as women, we can affect change three ways. Firstly, in our own sense, in our own spaces, as women, as individuals, the way we parent, the way we live our lives, the choices that we make, the day-to-day minutiae of how we live, whether we resist the dominant story of our roles as secondary or whether we're just too tired and we just accept. So we accept the pinkification of the toys and the clothes that we buy our kids, mm-hmm. um, our girls, and the blue blueification, um, yes. et cetera, et cetera. There's so many examples. You know, the cultural spaces that we occupy, the books that we buy, the, the music that we listen to, to what extent do we enforce, reinforce um, traditions and norms, or to what extent do we say, actually, let's challenge women being subordinate in all of this. Yes. Uh, as a very small example, Netflix has a whole category of films directed by women. So I just watch those at the moment, and they're brilliant. Um, <laughs> you know, otherwise, you're just perpetuating the, the, what, what gets the most visibility. Absolutely, absolutely. We need so to be careful. We'll end up in a women in law film club next. We've got book club, <laughs> theatre club, now we're heading towards film club. <laughs> Um, And the second one is it's by lots of people, lots of women standing up, demanding change, that you change social norms, and that's important. And the third one is through through work, through structural or institutional change. And as lawyers, you have incredible power. I mean, Emmeline used to talk about wanting women to be uh, lawmakers, not lawbreakers. So as lawyers, women have that chance. And the question is, do they use that power with a feminist perspective or not and hopefully they use it with a feminist um, perspective and also for broader social change absolutely what role do you think men have so men have a critical role in all of this um we can't we can't change the whole of the world if with just half the population we have to ensure that the other half is totally engaged and it's a really tricky one because as soon as you bring men into a space where you're talking primarily about feminism men feel very uncomfortable and that's right and they have to feel uncomfortable because quite frankly women know that sense of discomfort so well and it's important that men for once feel that Having felt uncomfortable, I think it's then really, really important that they feel included. And we, as women feminists, find ways to include men, as I've said, because nothing's going to change unless they are involved. After all, they are father figures, they are husbands, they are partners um, at home, let alone in the workspace. So men, as feminists, is critical going forward. Quite how we do that, I think, is a really difficult process, but it is happening um, and we need to encourage it. I wholly agree. That's why we allow men in our network. Um, 2028 marks the centenary of equal franchise. And I just wondered, what change uh, within wider society do you still think we can inspire in the next nine years? So I'm really hanging on to this idea that we can do it. So we can do it. So we've got till 2028. That's a large amount of time. And if individually and if collectively and if society as a whole says, come on, 
it's going to be on us. You know, in 2028, people will be saying, well, what did you do? And if we all hold on to that, and if we all make as much noise, as much change as we can, I'm hoping that right across the board, you know, in terms of the political structure, in terms of the legal structure, in terms of um, workplaces, in terms of society's um, cultural values, in terms of violence against women, right across the board, that we will have a more diverse and more equal society, a richer society for all of that. It will only happen if we all take responsibility. Absolutely. You're so right. You're so right. I have to avoid <laughs> saying that. Um, now, I, I want to um, ask you a, a couple of other things, if I may. You're really a very good author. You've written several books, especially Deeds Not Words, which I love. Uh, and I wonder what uh, was one of your favourite books? So right now I'm reading a whole set of books because I am the one of the judges for the Orwell Prize of Political Writing. And I can't tell you which books I'm reading because that's not out there yet. (laughs) But um, the reason I'm mentioning this is that I might not have picked up a number of books that are in that list because instinctively I go for certain types of books. I go for feminist books. I go for international books. You know, I've got got a a default mechanism, a default line, as we all have. And the fascinating thing about this has been it's encouraged me to read a whole set of books that I wouldn't have normally read, uh, well beyond my comfort zone. And I think what I would encourage people to do is to do just that, you know, pick up books that you wouldn't normally read because you can learn so much by doing it. So so you've basically just got tons of books as your favourite. And um, do you have an inspiring quote that you live your life by or one that you tell your daughter, I met your wonderful daughter? Do you have a quote uh, that you could share with us? I do. I've got a favourite quote and I'm not even sure who initiated it, but it, I live by it and it's fun and purpose. It's the idea that you combine doing something that's meaningful, but you do it with fun and verve and that's what life should be about. A huge thank you to Helen Pankhurst for her time. As I mentioned, Helen spoke at the Women in the Law UK annual dinner in March this year, where guests also heard a song which was specially commissioned to celebrate the 100-year anniversary since women were allowed to practice law. And I wanted to give you the chance to hear it. Here's singer-songwriter Claire Mooney. A hundred years ago after some women got the vote There was another change in legislation At last the time had come When sisters of note Could practice law all around the nation It takes a fearless spirit To cross new frontiers To make a place to women to excel Where would we be without these bold pioneers Who within the law were ready to rebel To each and everyone Who laid the foundations for all the years to come Lawyers and judges too From the bottom of our hearts Versus the Law Society found women were not persons. Carrie Morris and Mary Pickle, Lord Crops, Mary Sykes took great strides against the prejudice that cursed them to work in the law and promote equal rights. Ivy Williams 
Thank you so much, the brilliant singer-songwriter Claire Mooney, for that specially commissioned track. And thank you for listening to Talking Law. I'm Sally Penny. Please do let us know who you'd like to hear on future episodes. Leave us a review or a rating wherever you're listening. The next episode will be with you on the 4th of September. But until then, do check in and see what we're up to at womeninthelawuk.com. Bye for now.